I think we all love before and after pictures, don't we? We love looking at the before picture and looking at the after picture and looking at the stark difference. Well, take a look at this. That's a before picture of me. It was taken September 2007. It was the very day that I got on a bus coming to Connecticut to be a part of Pivot. You see, this picture was following 23 years of addiction. Literally darkness and death. Hopelessness. At this time in my life, my heart had become bitter towards everything and everybody. I had destroyed many of my relationships, including my family relationships. I had a reputation of being untrustworthy, manipulative, self-centered, darkness, hopelessness. And then in 2010, three years later, that picture was taken. There's the after picture. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Three years later, what a stark difference. The before and the after, literally from death to life. A new creation in Christ. The before and the after. Well, this morning in our reading, Acts chapter 9, we get to see another one of those before and after pictures. One of those before and after pictures of our brother Saul, who would later become known as Paul. This isn't the before and after picture of a living room makeover or some kitchen renovation. This is a personal makeover before and after of a life. It's the before and after picture of a life. And what we don't ever see, the in-between the before and after. We never see what happens in the middle of the before and the after. That space we never get to see. And what happens in the middle is conversion. It's conversion. It's a change. It's a shift. So my focus this morning is what's in the middle? What's in the middle? We get to see that in our text today, not just the before picture or the after picture, but we get to see the conversion that takes place. We get to see that space in the middle, that personal conversion of the Apostle Paul, who at this point is called Saul. There's another conversion we're going to talk about as well later on, but we get to see the before and the after and Paul going, Saul going to Paul. Now, to do that, we need to take a good look at how we get to the after picture. We need to look at how we get from there to here. How does he go from here to there? We can learn three aspects of conversion from this very text this morning. Three that I'm going to point out to us. Three principles, three truths, three truths about conversion, about change, about personal shifting 
into a new life that God has for us. Conversion is a matter of life and death. Number two, conversion is an ongoing process. And number three, conversion is initiated by God. It's a matter of life and death. It's an ongoing process, and it's initiated by God. So what do I mean when I say conversion is a matter of life and death? Well, let's take a look at the scripture. If your Bibles are still open, you can follow along with me. In verse 1 of the reading today, it says that Saul is breathing threats of murder against the disciples of Jesus. He's breathing threats in murder against the disciples. And then in verse 20, just 20 verses later, the same man is proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He goes from breathing threats in murder to proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. We see a clear before and after picture here, saints. How does he get from here to there? How do we get to the after picture? Saul goes through a death and a resurrection. Let's look a little deeper. In the beginning of the story, Saul is met by Jesus. There is this blinding light. I like to think of the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that says, those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Well, this is literal for Saul. He literally sees the bright light of Jesus. And it comes all around him. It flashes all around him. He sees he's been in darkness for such a long time. Jesus floods in like the morning sunlight. And Saul falls to the ground. And then we go to verse 9. Saul experiences what can best be described as a spiritual death and resurrection. In verse 9, it says, Three days he went without sight. He neither ate nor drank. On the third day, he's met by Ananias for that prayer that they have together. And then in verse 18, on the third day, it says, immediately, something like scales falls from his eyes. He regains his sight. He rises. He's baptized. He takes food, and he's strengthened. Saints, that story, that picture should remind you of something. The death and resurrection of Jesus. Three days in the ground, and on the third day, he rose again. Saul spends three days without sight, without eating, without drinking. For all intents and purposes, he's a dead man. He's probably in a coma-like situation. And he goes through this slow spiritual death. On the third day, it says, scales falls from his eyes like the stone rolled away from the tomb of Jesus. He rises up. He regains his strength. And he's baptized. Saul has experienced spiritual death and resurrection. Later on, Paul describes this same conversion in terms of his baptism. Paul's words in Romans says, all of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so might we. Death, resurrection, spiritual death in Christ, new life in the resurrection. Saints, it's like when we go beneath the waters of baptism, you participate with Jesus in his death. Just like he did when he went to the tomb. And when we rise above the waters in baptism, you come out in a new life. With a new life that Christ has given to you. It's a matter of life and death. You go from death to life. Spiritual death to life in the resurrection. You go from that sinful self and its murdering and threatening ways into a new life. You get transformed. You become a new man, a new woman, and then you turn and you have new life in Christ that breathes life into the world. A matter of life and death, saints. We must go to the cross with Jesus and then to the grave with Jesus and our sinful selves, leaving it all there and then walking out with him in a new life. Death and resurrection. We call it being born again. We call it reborn. Many people, when they talk about conversion, they're really talking in terms of behavior modification. They'll say, well, you know, I used to do this, but now I do this. Friends, God wants something deeper for us. He wants us to die to our sinful selves. He wants us to live in a new life. He wants us to be a new man or a new woman. God wants for you more than to just change your behavior. He wants a new life for you. God wants you to go to the cross with your old self and then walk out of the tomb in a new life that he's given you. Friends, conversion is a matter of life and death. But maybe that's not your story this morning. Maybe you came to Jesus long ago. Maybe you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus right now. Maybe you identify more with Ananias in this story. You see, Ananias is described in verse 10 as a disciple. Verse 10 reads, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Friends, but Ananias, too, he's a disciple of Jesus. He goes through a conversion as well. He goes through a conversion in the story. His is not from death to life. Ananias goes from obedience to total surrender. He goes from following Jesus to submitting to the will of God. Go back to me with verse 10 again. It's describing Ananias. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. You see, Ananias is already in. He's already converted. He's already a follower of Jesus. And here the Lord calls to him in a vision. He gets a much gentler approach from Jesus. Not the blinding light like with Saul, but he gets a vision. And God only calls his name once. Ananias. Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Ananias is basically saying, I'm available for my next assignment. Tell me what it is you wish of me. 
So God tells Ananias some instructions, and Ananias listens to them and responds, oh, but not that, Lord. He's basically saying, I can't possibly go and do that. And then Ananias, he thinks he has to give God some information that he's lacking. Do you know who this man is? He's killing your people in Jerusalem. Remember, Ananias is faithful. He's obedient. He's a follower of Jesus. But when he's given a task that he doesn't understand, that's too big for him, that he doesn't quite get, he thinks it's impossible, he can't do it. How often do we, saints, how often are we ready to do what God asks us to do until we hear what it is? But in this story, we watch as God explains to Ananias, I do want you to go. I want you to submit to me. I want you to surrender your will to mine. And we see Ananias do that very thing. Ananias goes through a conversion of his own. It's a sanctifying moment for Ananias. He surrenders his will and he goes to meet Saul. Verse 17, Ananias departs and he enters the house. Can you imagine what Ananias might be thinking at that moment? Saul, this is the guy whose job it is to kill people like me. Here Ananias is surrendering his will. He's still not quite sure how this is going to turn out. Ananias finds the house that's been described to him in the vision, and he enters it. Now, if that were me, my heart would be beating fast, I'm sure. I'd be terrified to death. I'd be nervous even as I'm surrendering my will to God. Can you imagine being in that space? Ananias finds Saul. He lays his hands on Saul as instructed. And in an act of full surrender, he calls Saul brother. Ananias says, brother Saul. Think of what Ananias might have been thinking the day before. The last thing he would have done would have called Saul his brother. This is Ananias Again, experiencing a conversion of his own. It's an ongoing conversion of Ananias, and it enables him to call Saul, the Christian killer, his brother. And the two of them pray together. Saying these, these two men, both led there by Jesus, they get to experience this moment where Ananias prays for Saul, and he gets to see the scales fall from Saul's eyes. Saul rises up and he goes against running from Jesus to bringing his deathly self to the cross. Both of them experience a miracle in their midst. I recently recalled an incident where I was called to go from obedience to total submission. It was about a year ago. Some of the men and I, we go out to a track over in Bridgeport. We're out there at 5.30 in the morning. 
And one morning we were there, we were jogging as usual, and I saw a young man asleep on a bench. After my first lap around the track, I felt a nudge in my spirit. Go and pray for this guy. I totally ignored it. I'm still running. Second lap, I feel that nudge again. I'm like, God, I know that's you. It's 5.30 in the morning. I'm here in Bridgeport. I don't know who that is over there. This may not go very well for me. Nonetheless, it kept pressing into my spirit. God kept nudging me. So eventually, I decided to yield. I was still concerned about my safety. So I asked a couple of the guys to go over to this bench with me. And there we began to pray for this guy. I introduced myself to him. I told him my name was Pastor Richard. He told me his name was Dwight. I told him all about Pivot and invited him to come and join us. He accepted prayer. We prayed for him. But he said, I'll have to think about Pivot. Well, we were out there the very next morning at 5.30 again. And there he was, asleep on the bench again. I took a couple of guys over there again, and I woke him up. Pastor Richie and Dwight, can we pray for you? We prayed for Dwight, and that very morning, he decided to come to Pivot. God is good. As a matter of fact, he's completed the program since then, and Dwight is here with us today. Stand up, Dwight. total submission, Dwight and I both got to experience a miracle in our midst. Conversion is a matter of life and death, and it's also an ongoing process, even for the pastors. Amen? Amen. Lastly, conversion is always initiated by God. Conversion is always initiated by God. Now, one of the things that intrigued me the most about this passage is how God is moving the people. He's operating in Saul's life and Ananias' life simultaneously. He's moving in both spaces. Do you think Saul woke up that morning and thought, you know, I think I'll decide to stop persecuting Jesus and I'll start following Jesus. Probably not. And do you think Ananias woke up that morning thinking, I think I'll go deeper with God today. I'll totally submit to him. Probably not. Probably not. You see, God appeared to both of them. In Saul's case, dramatically blinding light. In Ananias' case, it was a vision. It was Jesus who appeared to them. It was Jesus who was the decider. It wasn't them making decisions for God. It was God making a decision to pursue them both. Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Jesus. He thought he was doing good. But Jesus received him just the same. 
He knew that Saul, he knew just what Saul was all about. But Jesus still received him. Often we'll judge people. We'll see their lifestyles. And we will judge them right away. Even the people in your life that you think are running away from God, they could be running right into his arms of grace. He sees all the spaces. He's in all the spaces. God's view is so much bigger. He sees the pieces of the puzzle that we don't, saints. Let's look at how specific God's description to Ananias Ananias is in verse 11. God is talking to Ananias, who is in Damascus, about another man who's also in Damascus. He sees the bird's eye view of the entire scene. The Lord says to Ananias, rise up and go to a street called Straight at the house of Judas. There look for a man of Tarsus who's going to be praying. God sees it all. He sees the whole scene. God is sovereign, and that's why Ananias needs to trust him. That's why we need to trust him. God give Ananias some instructions that Ananias can't grasp from his earthly perspective. Ananias' thinking is, go to the house where and pray for who? God has a bigger view of the scene. God has a bigger view of our lives. Friends, we must remember that God is sovereign and he's always moving, even in the spaces that we don't realize. He doesn't just only have a view of Richfield or Bridgeport or New Haven. He has a view of all of creation. And when we open ourselves up and when we surrender to his will, when we ask for his perspective, Jesus might ask you to be someone's Ananias. It was a few years ago I I witnessed this same movement of God in a very, very special way. It was a hot, hot summer Friday. We all know what they can be like. It was about 3.30 in the afternoon. I had a really busy day at work. I was just beginning to wind down. And as I was heading to my car, one of the fellow staff members, they came over to me and they were like, Pastor, Pastor, drive me to Norwalk. And I'm like, rush hour, end of the day, you got to be kidding. I had a long day at work, but I did ask him, why do you need to go to Norwalk? He said, Alfred Mack has been on my mind all day. Alfred Mack is an alumnus who has struggled quite a bit since he's graduated. And we continue to pray for Alfred. But this particular day, the staff came and said, he's been on my mind. Take, we, wanna, we need to go and find him in Norwalk. I found myself saying, okay, but at the same time I'm thinking, where are we going to find Alfred in the middle of the afternoon? Where do we begin to look? We could be all day long trying to find Alfred. But nonetheless... There was a heartfelt unction to go. Without any plan, without any discussion of where we would look, we ended up near the Norwalk shelter. We're about a block away from the shelter, and we looked down the street, and we saw someone standing on the corner, and it looked like it was Alfred. We drove up closer, and indeed, Alfred was standing on the corner. We pulled up to Alfred, and he looked disheveled. He looked confused and said, Alfred, are you okay? How long have you been standing here? 
He explained that he was in a house around a corner. He was in a bad space. And something just stirred in his spirit to come outside. He had just got to the corner as we were driving up. I asked him, was he okay? He said he could use more help. So we got, we got, we got him in the car. But we looked at each other, and after attempting to make sense of this remarkable timing, we realized that God was in motion. God was moving the people. He directed us to Alfred and Alfred to us. It was not a mere coincidence. What do you think? Coincidence or God's sovereignty? Saints, when we surrender, we... We, we get to see another side of it. When we surrender our will to God's will and ask him for his perspective, he'll ask us to do things that may not make sense. But that's a conversion that he's inviting us into. That's the change. That's the new life that he wants for us all. He initiates it all, and it's him who's sovereign. Have you had any nudges lately? Three perspectives, guys. It's a matter of life and death. It's an ongoing process. And it's always initiated by God. Have you gone to the cross? Have you gone to the cross? Have you totally surrendered your will to God? God's calling for conversion in our lives. Maybe you need that soul-like conversion. Maybe you still haven't taken the sinful self to the cross and left him there. Perhaps you simply need to surrender. More than an Ananias conversion. Just going deeper with God. Whichever kind of conversion God is inviting you to this morning, just trust him. God does the initiating. It's God who is faithful to complete the work in you. Whatever he's asking of you, do it today. He's faithful to complete the work that he started.